Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A while back I heard uh, a radio show, This American Life, and in this a woman was sharing her story about her love for the movie The Sound of Music. She said it was always her favorite movie from the time she was really little. And of course she's not alone in this. It's one of the best known, best loved movies of all time. But what was different for this woman was she'd only seen the first half of the movie. Back in the day, before the days of streaming, long movies, you had to put on two VHS tapes. So she had consistently seen the first tape. She didn't even know there was a second tape. She didn't know there was a second half of the movie. And the first tape, in her mind, had a complete story. The first tape tells the story of Maria coming from the convents, coming to be the nanny for the Von Trapp family, and uh, really the first half of the movie has kind of a lighter, cheery feeling. You get those songs like A Few of My Favorite Things, and Liesl and Rolf dance and have uh, have their, their song, and... Uh, the children and Maria all bond. The first half of the movie ends with Maria coming back from the convent and the children being all excited and welcoming her back and everything seems happy. <laughs> now, this is what the woman who loved the sound of music loved. This light, cheery feeling. But she had completely missed anything about the Nazis being in the first half of the movie, even though they were there. And she had basically missed the entire backdrop of the story. So when a friend finally convinced her to watch the second half of the movie, and she finally sat down and watched the second tape, she felt very differently about it. The second half of the movie is much darker, and the Nazis play a much larger role in the second half of the movie. Even the lighting gets darker, more ominous feeling for the whole second half. And after watching the second half of the movie, the woman declared that she kind of liked it better the way she had remembered it before. She didn't like that part of it. She wanted to keep the, the part she liked. And I think we often approach the parable of the prodigal son in a similar way. The very title of the parable that's been given to it kind of betrays this bias. The prodigal son is the first son we hear about. The prodigal son is the one who brazenly tells his dad, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me, which is kind of a way of saying, Dad, be more convenient if you just go ahead and die so I can have your stuff. Uh, the prodigal son is the one who, after receiving his share of the inheritance, takes off for a faraway country and wastes his inheritance on reckless living. The prodigal son is the one who, after wasting his entire inheritance, is humbled to the point that he's feeding pigs, which in the context of this story is about as low as you can get. This job is about the lowest you can imagine for a Jewish man in the first century AD. 
And if that's not bad enough, then he's looking at what the pigs have to eat and he's thinking, man, that sure does look good because he's so hungry. The prodigal son is the one that finally comes to his senses and returns home. He has his speech prepared, how he sinned against heaven and against his father. And as he comes before he can even get a word out, the father sees him when he's still a long way off. The father runs out to him, wraps his arms around him, hugs him, kisses him, welcomes him home. And the prodigal son is the one who then confesses. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father doesn't disown him. The father doesn't say, you're right. You really messed up. But I guess you can come back as a servant. The father says, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, put it on his finger. Bring sandals, put them on his feet. Kill the fattened calf, we're going to have a party. My son was dead, he's alive again, he was lost, he's found. Thus ends tape one, right? (laughs) And it's a great story. It's a complete story in a lot of ways, isn't it? But it's not the full story. To stop here would actually be to ignore the entire backdrop against which this story is told by Jesus. The parable isn't told by Jesus just kind of out of the blue, but there's a context here. At the beginning of chapter 15, Luke gives us that context. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's your context. The reason Jesus tells this parable is because you have these tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus, coming in faith. They're the younger son. And you have the tax, the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes saying, this doesn't seem right to us. Really? So now we put the second tape in to finish the story. And things do get darker because we're not focused on the prodigal son anymore, but we're focused on his older brother. The second part begins, now his older son. Which, by the way, goes to show we have misnamed the parable because the older son isn't named in relation to the younger son, but he is mentioned in relation to the father. Really, this is the parable of the loving father. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What's this big celebration all about? Well, your brother has come. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Again, the father is the center of the story here. Your father has received him back. The son's home. The father rejoices. But what about the older son? He was angry and refused to go in. So the father comes out to him and he's 
pleading with him to come and join the celebration, but the older son instead responds, Look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, he doesn't even call him his brother, right? Your son, this son of yours who has come and devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, there's a lot going on here. The older son is angry with the father. He's angry with his brother. He doesn't feel he has gotten what he deserves. But if we look at the story a little bit more closely, we're going to see some things that might not jump out to us right away. Here's one. The older son received his part of the inheritance already. We saw that back in in verse 12. It says that the father divided the inheritance between them. So he's already received from the father. Another point is the older son, being that there are only two sons, he's the older son, would have received more of the inheritance than the younger son. The way it worked in that part of the world at that time, it would probably have been double what the younger son received. One more point here. How does the older son know that the younger son has used his money with prostitutes? He doesn't. He's not even talked to his younger brother. He doesn't know that. So either he is assuming the worst of his brother, or, as I, heard, I saw one commentator speculate, maybe, maybe the older brother is, has been thinking about how he might have used his money if he didn't feel bound to remain home. What kind of things might I want to do if I went crazy like he's going? So the older brother has received rich gifts from the father. The older son has been blessed greatly, but the older son the older son feels like he's stuck. I had to stay home. I had to work in the fields for my father. He's doing it all out of obligation and not out of love. This is why he's so unforgiving towards his brother. The older brother actually envies the younger brother. But he feels trapped and he feels obligated to do this work and he has no joy in the work that he's doing. The attitude of the older brother is the attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes to whom Jesus was speaking. Oh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. It can also easily become the attitude of those of us who have grown up in the church and been a part of the church forever. We begin to think we deserve special treatment from God. We've been here doing all of this work, all of this time, and now some other person comes in and, and, and they think that they should receive the same kind of blessings that, from God that we are going to get, really? I mean, we've done a lot more work than they have. Come on. 
And we can begin to resent those who have fallen away and gone through a rebellious phase before being called back to faith and and to the church by the Holy Spirit. In other words, tape two of the parable of the prodigal son is more likely the tape we need to pay special attention to. Because we've We've been the prodigal son, and God has welcomed us and forgiven us our sin, but we've also been the older brother who begins to forget everything he has is a gift from God. (laughs) Everything is from the Father. And the opportunity to serve the Father isn't a burden, it's a joy. In truth, we need both parts of the story, don't we? We need tape two and we need tape, or tape one and tape two. We need the first part of this, the parable and the second part of the parable. We need to hear of the love of the Father, the love of God who rejoices when sinners return home. And we need that second part of the story, that second tape, so that we don't become like the scribes and the Pharisees and start to think that we're better than others and more deserving than others. Because salvation is always a gift. Our status as children of God is always a gift. It's by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works. So we have nothing to boast about but Jesus. To close today, I'm going to ask you to to join with me in a word of prayer as we, we give thanks to God for welcoming us back, for forgiving us our sins, for richly blessing us with a a great inheritance, but also that he would keep us from that kind of pride that we see in that second son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is fitting to celebrate. For we were dead in sin, and you have made us alive in Christ. Keep us from the kind of sinful pride shown by the older brother in the parable that we would instead join in the celebration whenever sinners return to you. Remind us that we were lost, but Jesus found us. That we were dead, but you have made us alive in Christ by baptism and faith. Keep us from sinful pride and instead give us hearts that are filled with joy for the service you have given us to do and thanksgiving for the inheritance you have given to us and with love for the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Now in peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.